Um, I want to introduce my wife, my beautiful wife, Bo Key. Can you stand up, please? And our son, Sam. Can you stand up, please? Thank you. And then our daughter, Esther, is out there. Can you stand up? Thanks. So I often, um, I often make the mistake of introducing myself, and my kids go, do you remember you have a family? So I actually did it right this time. Well, it's really good to be here. Um, where we left, it was quite warm. I think the day we left, it was like 42 degrees. And we live in Cairo, Egypt. We lived in Beijing for many, many years. And three years ago, felt like God was redirecting and sent us to Cairo. Very nice, safe city. Boring, nothing happens. But if you watch the news, you'll wonder, is it safe there? That's the question I always hear, is, is it safe? And when you hear the news about London, Paris, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, I think, yes, it's very safe compared to what's going on in different places around the world. And actually, I was telling the taxi driver today when he said, what, you know, what are the difference, what do you like better, America or China? And I said, Beijing is really safe compared to many other places around the world. It really is. And that's amazing when you think of the Renko, the number of people that are here and the fact that it's much safer than other places around the world with a lot less people. Um, that's, that's really amazing. So we, um, I'm trying to think of what I can say and what I probably can say to you in private. If you want to hear more about what we do, I'd love to tell you. We actually work a lot with people who are from here. So still able to use our Chinese and still able to get Chinese food there, which is really nice. So, but please pray for us. Um, people always, when they think of people in our line of work, they often think we're going to ask for money. If you want to give money, that's wonderful. But I don't mind begging you to pray for us. Please remember us in your prayers. And even when you forget, remember the next time. Um, because we live off of those prayers. We live off of the grace of God. And it's wonderful. There's wonderful things happening in that part of the world that you won't read about in the New York Times. And um, people are changing at a faster rate than ever before in history for the people who are the majority of where we live. So there's really good things that are going on. But again, you're not gonna, you're not gonna find their testimonies, you're not gonna find their news in CNN or something like that. And um, anyways, so again, if you wanna hear more, I'd love to tell you about that. But first of all, I want to say Happy Father's Day. I was glad Robin had every, all of the fathers stand up. Because Father's Day is kind of an interesting time. You know, it's like when it's your birthday, we remember you. Or you remember us. In the Chinese tradition, you bring us out to dinner and you pay for it or something like that. Mother's Day, you remember your mother and how wonderful she is. And Father's Day, you remember your father. Um, and, and you remember usually all the wonderful things your father did. For you. And when we think of fathers, we think, yeah, they loved us, they cared for us, they sacrificed for us, they provided. Um, but if we dig a little deeper, we probably find some things that maybe were a little bit troubling. Um, and when you have memory of, of your father, there's usually a mixture of maybe good and bad, and, and we have different ideas about our fathers at different times in our lives. Let me just tell you about my father. He died when I was 18, right about a week after I graduated from high school. And he was a candy salesman. And so we grew up having a lot of candy around our house. 
And in fact, so much, he was very generous. And so the kids in our neighborhood, what they would do is on Halloween, does everyone know Halloween? Kids dress up in costumes and go from door to door asking for candy and expect to get it. And so they would come to our house, we'd give them candy, and then they'd go home and change their costume and come back because they knew at the Stevenson house they would always get lots and lots of candy kind of a thing. But my dad also had some struggles. He was an alcoholic. And if any of you have grown up in a family with any kind of addictions, whether it's pornography, whether it's gambling, whether it's drinking, whether it's drugs or something like that, then you'll be able to identify with how it affected us as a family. He was a great salesman. Uh, He really cared about meeting our financial needs. He tried as best as he could. Um, He was a wonderful speaker. If if you like what you see today, you can credit him. If you don't like, you you can blame me. But he was, he was very funny. Everyone loved to have him at the party. He was, always had good jokes. He could get along with anyone. He was really good that way. But because of this addiction, you can naturally imagine how it affected my family. And so the idea of a father, I became a Christian when I was 17. And the idea of God the Father was a bit, a little bit hard to swallow. What does that really mean? I usually kind of just brushed it by. And thought, well, God loves me, you know, he saved me and things like that. God the Father. Eh, I don't know. Sure, okay, whatever. But I didn't really dig into it. As the years have gone by, I have found out more about my father than when he was alive. And I found out that actually his father didn't want him. His father, my grandfather, liked another boy. And so my father grew up all of his life feeling rejected, feeling like he was second best. And so you can imagine all of this complex hurt and woundedness. I realized my father was a very pained man, and he tried the best he could with what was given him. And whether we, we think about it or not, we often project our ideas of father and fatherhood onto God. And so if you had a good father, then it's very easy to think of God being your father. If you had some struggles, then it might be a little bit more difficult. Some people don't like the idea of God being a father because their father wasn't there or their father wasn't a good father. Some people think a father is distant because their father was. And so they, when they think about God the father, they think of somebody who is far away. I grew up in the Catholic Church, which has a lot of good things, but I always felt like I was not good enough. I always felt like God looked at me like this. When are you going to get it right? How many times do I have to tell you? Because those are the things that I heard from my father. So I just unconsciously presumed God must be that way as well. And I thought, how can I please God? How can I get God's acceptance? Some people are really afraid to disappoint their fathers. That's the worst thing that they can think of, disappointing their mother and father. And so naturally, maybe they grew up with not good enough grades, not hard enough work, not whatever, whatever, whatever. And so when you become a Christian, when you start following Jesus, again, it's natural to project that, even if it's not right, to project that onto our godly father and think, well, my father was that way, he must be that way as well. However, some other people got whatever they wanted from their fathers. They learned how to say the right thing. 
They learned how to charm. They learned how to manipulate. And so they get a little bit disappointed with that doesn't quite work with God the Father. They pray, but they don't get every single thing that they think they deserve. And all of us have a whole myriad of ideas. Some of us have had really good fathers who were great role models, people that you could emulate, people that you could model and follow. And so it was a little bit easier when people said, God the Father loves you. That, that was no problem. It was easy to accept. And then the fathers themselves. Probably most of the fathers here, some days we think we're doing a good job. Maybe some days we think we're doing a really good job, and you think, I'm a really good father. What's wrong with those kids? Why don't they understand that? But then there's other days we think, I'm really not a good father. And we kind of fluctuate in between those two polars, going back and forth and thinking. Because we look at ourselves and look at what we've did, and there's, there's a scale that we put up, and we think, well, maybe... When you think of God the Father, and that's who I want to talk about today, what do you think of? You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you think of an old man with a big beard? You know, he goes like this and lightning comes down. Um, there's, when you look at the pictures of who God is, it's, it's kind of funny because we don't really know. We haven't seen God the Father. Um, Jesus came in human form, so we have a, a much easier way to identify, to imagine, to think about Jesus. The Holy Spirit, we see a dove or we see some wind. You know, everybody sees wind, right? But God the Father is invisible. So what do you think of when you think of God the Father? You think a wise old man, a powerful king. What is a father? We need to look to God because he is the, the one who came up with the very idea of a father. It's not something we created. It's not something that we imagined one day. The idea of a father comes from God. And we need to look at God, the father, let him say who he is on his own terms. So, what is God the father like? We can look at the words, what God said, the actions that he did, and of course we can look at Jesus. Jesus said at one point, I and the Father are one. Okay, now that, that gets a little bit confusing. Because my son would never say, I and the Father are one. He'd probably say, well, it's my dad. Or something like that. But Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He was the living representation of God. So when you look at the words God said, you know, some people say words, but what they do is the opposite, or it's different. And we usually criticize that and say, well, they're hypocrites, or they don't really mean it. My own father had a heart to want to, yeah, I'll bring you there. Yes, I'll get that for you. Okay, I'll be there on Friday. And very often he wouldn't show up. So I grew up thinking if, if a father says, I'll do it for you, well, in Arabic we say, noose, noose, means maybe, perhaps. 50% it'll actually work out. And so because of that, when I became a Christian, people would say, well, pray and God will hear your prayers. And I think, well, okay, sure, why not? Let's try it. But I didn't have a confidence. Our God, our Father, is not like that. He is by Fender by dependable, completely dependable. 
And that's a hard thing because there's nobody in this room, there's nobody in this city, there's nobody on the earth that you can say that about. And so to, for us to try to imagine what does that mean, what does that look like in real life, real everyday life, it stretches us a bit. But God the Father, his words are absolutely true. Absolutely true. He doesn't lie. Now, if you can say you are a person who never lies, you can raise your hand. Nobody. Isn't that interesting? There's nobody, 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 nobody who can say that. Not even one person. And yet, we can say that about our God, the Father. Maybe if you don't understand why he did what he did, it doesn't mean that he lied. It just means you don't understand. And that's fine. It's okay to live in that tension of not understanding everything. He doesn't exaggerate. Now, when I tell stories, sometimes they get a little bit bigger as time goes on. And God has to say, was it really that big? Were there really that many people? Did that really happen that way? But he doesn't exaggerate. He's honest. Think about what that means. If he's honest, it means I can believe him. I can really depend on him. He says that even if I don't like it, even if I don't understand it. If he's honest, that's where you want to bank your money. That's where you want to bank your life. It's worth it. He's dependable. He's incredibly wise. Do you think of God as being wise? Do you think of him as being intelligent? In this world, we respect intelligence. We honor achievement. We think, wow, that guy's really smart. They had a good idea. When we came here, the last time we were here was a year ago. There were no colored bicycles filling the streets everywhere. So for us to come here and see the, what is it, Gongshan Dantra, wow, soyore difangtoyo, everywhere. I was like, this looks like a, a, a cartoon or something. All these, you know, colorful bikes and everything. But my first thought was, who had this idea? This is an amazing idea. Somebody had an idea, implemented it, was able to gain capital, and look where it is now. And who knows what it'll be like a year from now. But I thought, what a wonderful idea. There's a lot of win-win in that idea. Do you think of God's commands, God's ideas that way? Or do they seem kind of old and out of date and I don't know how they work? Just because we don't understand doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means, again, we don't understand. And if we understand everything about God, well, then we are God, which I hope you know you're not. He's very intelligent, and he has an answer for everything. Everything. And so when you think about God the Father, you need to think about the words he says are true. When you read those books in the Old Testament that just seem like, why did they do that? Why did that happen? Why did God say that? It's okay to live in the middle of mystery where we're not sure why. Rick Lehman, who has been a mentor for me for 20 years, see, that's why my hair is white, because I wanted to be like him. I should have worn black or something. Even till now, Wednesday mornings in Cairo at 9 o'clock, I call him. And so he has had an incredible influence, incredible helping form who I am spiritually. But the biggest thing is he's helped form how I know God. And so I, I don't know if you know Rick very well. I know you see him up here, but you have a treasure. This is a man who knows God 
like nobody else that I know, and I know a lot of people. I, I just, you know, one day he won't be with us, but I want to encourage you to get to know him. But he has pushed into me the idea of leaning into God to find out what is God really like. A lot of us will focus on this is what you should do, this is what we should do, this is what, oh, this is what we shouldn't do, and don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that. But focus on the one who said those things, don't do that. If you focus on don't do this and do that, whoa, you get legalistic really fast, and it can be a bit confusing. Go past that to focus on who is the one who said those words, and take the time, take the effort to really get to know that person, that God, our Father. Now, when you think about the actions he did, where is Wee Mung? Is he, oh, he's down with the youth, right? <laughs> okay. I thought it was interesting, the story that he shared, because could you tell that story has had a profound impact on him? Otherwise, he wouldn't have shared it. And probably all of us, when I look out and I see some of you and I see your faces and I think, wow, they've been here for a long time, many, many years. And I think, wow, Cece is sitting out there. And I think all of the stories, all of the people that I have heard about, that I have prayed about and still pray for. And I think, God, you have done amazing things with that lady and in that lady's life. And a lot of you as well, when I look at you, I immediately think of stories that I've heard. Different times that were really hard and difficult and God came through. I want to tell you one story about a nephew of mine. I think he's about 40 years old. And his name is Josh. If you Google, well, if you can't, I don't know, Yoku or whatever, whatever you want to use, and look for um, Josh Stevenson Fishing. Um, you'll, you'll see he's a professional fisherman. That would be the job I think a lot of fathers here would love to have. It doesn't make much money, but it, uh, he, he is able to take people out. And for many, many years, he knew that I was a Christian, but he really wasn't that open to it. Well, they ha he has a store, what's called a bait store, just a diaoyu kind of dian or whatever, to help people who are fishing. And they wanted to open up a fenbu, another branch of this store. And he had used up all the capital, all, every form of liquidity that he had, everything, so that the bank was like zero. They couldn't give him any more money. Now, this is a store that needs water because the fish are in water, right? That's, that's a very basic fact. So people come in to buy bait. They come in to buy minnows. They come in to buy things to go fishing. You have to have water, all right? That's like a gas station without gas if you don't have it. Two days before this store, this is two years ago, two days before this branch store was to open, he hired a company to come in and open up the well that was next to the store that was on the same property. They went down there, and they had a hose coming out, and the hose dripped, dripped, dripped. They went down, they came up, and they said, uh, we've got some bad news. They said, it... It's really clogged up. It's really blocked up. It'll take about ten to 12,000 U.S. dollars to open it up. And the store was going to open up Hotian two days later. And my nephew, you have to know him. You never have to ask, what are you thinking? He, he's a very emotional guy, kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. He really, he just, he stormed. He, he ran away like this. And he went over by a fence. And the guys with the well digging company, they didn't know what to do. They just waited for him to come back. 
And he went over by the fence and he said, God, if you are real right now, I need you to show up. If you are who Mark says you are, please, right now, you need to meet me right here. So he came back and he said that the, the guys from the well company were a little bit scared. They said, well, listen, um, we can check again, you know, just to, just to make sure. So they went down again. Suddenly, water just came gushing out, got all the, park, all the cars in the parking lot wet, and just came shooting out. And they looked at Josh. They said, what did you do back there? And they, one guy said, did you pray? And he said, yes, I did. And he said, well, whatever you did, it worked. And he said, I've worked in this company for 30 years. I've never seen this. I've never seen this. So my nephew, here's what he did. He said, God, you showed me that you're serious with me. And if you're going to be serious with me, I want to be serious with you. So he gave his life to the Lord. So if you watch some of the things that he's done on television, some of the videos and all that, um, you might hear some hints of his faith because he tries every opportunity to talk about how wonderful God is and those kinds of things. But that story brackets and defines both my nephew and who God is to my nephew. And so we Ming's, Ming's story today, I thought, yeah, those kinds of things happen. They don't happen every day, but they happen and they start to define in your mind and in your heart who God the Father is. And if you don't have those stories, that's fine. You can look at some of the things that God did in the Bible. What sticks out to you? Parting of the Red Sea. When you think about the Red Sea, actually the Red Sea is really beautiful. It's not that far from our house. And if you have a chance to go, go. It's, it's tremendous. But the Red Sea defines the Jewish people, right? That's one of the things they look at. And when you look, go through the Bible, it's brought up over and over and over again. It also defines us. So the, the parting of the Red Sea is worthwhile looking at because it's, some, it's part of our history, our legacy. It's part of our definition of who we are as a people in following Jesus, following God the Father. And the parting of the Red Sea has many you know, implications, many things you can pull away from there. A couple things is that God did the impossible. When people were on the verge of destruction, of being annihilated, God does the impossible. So the Israelites, we as Christians want to remember that miracle, not because it made a cool movie, but because it defines who God the Father is. He's someone who works in the impossible very often at the last minute. Have you noticed that? I kind of wish God would kind of do some of this a little bit earlier, save me a lot of worry, and, but yet in that point of problem to solution, that worrying is actually where growth is. That's where we find God, in the middle of that. When it's over, it's like, wow, hallelujah, alhamdulillah, praise God. But it's in the middle where we grow. It's in the middle where we go deep with God because we have to, because we need him so much. Jesus dying on the cross. What does that say about God the Father? You could draw a lot of things from that, that he's mean, that he didn't even sacrifice his own son, for us. And we often hear that so much to the point where it gets to be old. 
and it doesn't have the same potency as it did when we first believed. So when you think about Jesus, the obedience and the humiliation of the Son coming together in his death shows something about the inner life of God. When you stop and look at it that way, um, there's a German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, who wrote, the cross is at the center of the Trinity. Before the world was, the idea, the value of sacrifice was already in God. Do you understand that? It wasn't like, well, I've got to work out something. Okay, go down and go on the cross. Well, I don't want to do it, but that's it. The idea of sacrifice was already in God. No trinity, no idea of the trinity is conceivable. You can't imagine it without the lamb, without the sacrifice of love, and without the crucified son. So we usually look at that and say, Jesus died for me, hallelujah. But step back a little bit and think, what does that say about God the Father and how much he values you? Was Jesus just a cheap kind of, well, I, I can use him to get this? No, not at all. It's very obvious from Jesus' prayers, from his words, especially in John, when he talks about being in the Father and I am in you and you are in me and, well, it gets, sure, whatever. It gets a little bit confusing because it's beyond our ability to figure out what that means. And then finally, we have Jesus. In John 25, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And, of course, that very phrase uh, was a bit problematic for Jesus. And that's what drew people's ear. That's what drew their anger. He was putting himself on the same level as God the Father. Finally, one day, Philip said to him, Hey, okay, Jesus, we've been following you now for a while. Show us the Father. We want to see the Father. Do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus answered, Don't you know me? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I and the Father are one. So what does this say about the Trinity? I and the Father are one. Okay, it gets confusing because it's beyond our comprehension but yet some of the things that are very complex are actually very simple. And things that are very simple are actually very complex. So the father gives up his only son for the sake of the world. The son never seeks to do his own will, but only the will of the father. And the spirit seeks only to glorify the son and the father. Do you get the sense among the trinity of a self-sacrifice? There's something of that in God, in God's character, in God the Father that sacrifices for the other. Trinity is a mystery, but it's not irrational. The Trinity, when we think of it, you know, do you think of three persons of the Trinity standing together? It's not so much that as much as they are in each other. 
And what that looks like, I will find out one day, and probably so will you. Perfect submission in the Trinity is perfect delight. In the fellowship of the Trinity, self-giving and self-sacrifice equals self-fulfillment and unspeakable joy. Okay, let me take that around. We'll go around one more time. Perfect submission within the Trinity, perfect submission is perfect delight. In the fellowship of the Trinity, self-giving and self-sacrifice equals self-fulfillment and unspeakable joy. There is an intimacy. There is a delight between those three persons of the Trinity. But you know what? It's not a closed circle. It's not like your boss's office that you wish you could be invited to go into one day. It's not like the inner circle of your department and you are left out. The Trinity, that's why Jesus prays, I pray that they may be one as we are one. Because there's an invitation into that circle. There's an invitation into that intimacy. There's an invitation into that joy. That's what kind of father we have. Okay, the last thing I want to look at is what kind of relationship did Jesus have with the father? The first one would be acceptance. Okay, Jesus hears what? The voice from heaven that says what? This is my son and he's a good speaker. Listen to him. This is my son. He performs some pretty cool miracles. Watch what he does. No, he doesn't. He just says this, and he says, you are my son, my beloved. This is my son. Listen to him. Not because of what he does, but because of who he is. Jesus never questioned until he hung on the cross. He never questioned, does God love me? Does God accept me? He knew deep, 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 inside. So when you think about this intimate three-person relationship, imagine the pain when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a pain that we will never experience and never be able to understand because we don't have quite the same intimacy as Jesus did with the Father. The next thing is sustenance. Now, Sustenance means what fills you. What do you feed off of? And this is something, unless Rick Lehman has changed in the last two weeks or so, is something that he often talks about. What do you abide in? What feeds your soul? Is it success? Is it money? Is it miracles? Or is it feeling selfish? Or is it whatever? There's a whole list of things. Jesus did everything because he knew the Father's love. That's what fed him. Okay, the Father's enjoyment of him gave the Son a sense of well-being. Jesus knew he was loved by God the Father. He knew it deeply, and that's what kept him going. It wasn't because people liked him, or it wasn't because people didn't like him, and that was a challenge, how to win them over. No, he said he only did what his father told him to do. And again, because they have that intimate, intimate relationship. Number three is status. Jesus knew that he was from above. He was sent by God to do God's work. He knew he was the living bread, the water of life, 
and the light of the world. And he knew that he belonged to God. Again, I'm kind of pounding that home. But I want you to feel an invitation to step into that as well. If you're not sure how God views you, it will affect if you think, does he really love you or not? Um, the fourth thing is achievement. Jesus was able to do what the Father had given him to do. And the kind of accomplishment that it, obedience takes means a joy unlike anything else. Any, any promotion, anything that you could possibly do doesn't compare to the joy of obeying and knowing that you've pleased the Father by your obedience. But oftentimes we don't know God's heart. There's a story about a girl who was praying, I want to go to India. I want to reach the people of India. So one day she said, Jesus, God, give me your heart for the people of India. And God replied, how can I give you my heart for India when you don't even know my heart for you? And so we need to know, we need to have, make sure that our identity, that our role is, is very firmly in who Jesus is and what he thinks about us. You know, when you think about marriage, I just want to read this and then I'll finish. Um, you can tell me if you think this was a good definition. Um, this is a guy named Michael Moore. He said, marriage is disturbingly intense, <laughs> disruptively involving, and that is exactly the way it was designed to be. It is supposed to be more almost more than we can handle. It was meant to be a lifelong encounter that would be much more rigorous and demanding than anything human beings could have ever chosen, dreamed of, desired, or invented on their own. For that is its very purpose, to get us out beyond our depth, out of the shadows of our own secure egocentricity and into the dangerous, and unpredictable depths of a real interpersonal encounter. Now, for those of you who are married, you may be going, boy, that's, yeah, that's right. It's intense. It's disruptively involving. I thought that was really good. But it's exactly the way that's designed to be. It takes us out of where we are into places we've never gone relationally. That's what God wants to do with you as well. Do not expect God to fit into your idea of a relationship, to fit into your idea of what a father should be, to fit into your world of the way things you think should be. Let God dictate who he is to you, show you who he is, and let him show how a wonderful father he is in any situation, in any way, with anyone. But let him touch your heart. So for Father's Day... Tell your father thank you. Tell your father thanks for trying, thanks for the work, thanks for sacrificing. But remember your heavenly father, who is not just some wise old man sitting on a throne some way far away, waiting for you to improve, but is next to you, inside of you, saying, come. I invite you into a relationship that is intense, that is disruptively involving, but will take you into places you've never been before. And you, you can always tell children who are very secure are willing to take risks because they know their fathers 
and their mothers are nearby. And your father is even closer than your physical parents. He is walking. He is inside of you. Let him be who he wants to be, and he will make you into the best version of yourself. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being that son. And God, our Father, we would say we don't completely understand that trinity, but we believe it. And so, Father, we say thank you for being the perfect father. Thank you for coming up with the idea and definition of what a father is. And we pray, Jesus, that you would show us more and more, not in a guilt-forming way, but in a way that encourages us to face our fears, get healed, and lean into you with confidence, knowing that you are a good, good father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.